A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and, uh, yeah, some ups and downs on this show. Sidge, divisive, we'll say. Uh, it wasn't particularly good. It was one of the least good episodes of AEW Dynamite I've ever seen. And I got a kind of a sobering glimpse into the, the mind of someone who doesn't cover this for a living. There's been so many times um, in the past, we don't tend to talk about the ratings too much anymore. But there's been so many like, endless countless conversations where we've been like saying why aren't people watching this why aren't people in their hundreds of thousands watching this why is, does this not perform well can like contrast it against monday night raw and this episode was so ugh, at points that i was genuinely thinking well the next one's on a friday i'm not going to watch this one live they're not giving us any incentive to watch next week's episode and i know this is atypical of the way AEW books I still think it sets kind of a bad precedent that they clearly are phoning some stuff in ahead of going back to live crowds and on Wednesdays. So it's not typical, I guess, but there's very much an air of, I can understand why people aren't going to tune in next week. Yeah, it's just a dangerous precedent to set, isn't it? The last thing you want to do is make any one of your shows missable. Um, certainly Dynamite, anyway. Uh, you can you can tar dark and dark elevation with that brush, but but not dynamite, even when it's moved, even when it's bounced around the schedules a little bit. This wasn't without a couple of things that made this essential viewing here and there. But what I wanted from this, like we joked a little bit on the Friday preview, I think I said words to the effect of I'll catch or I'll get round to dynamite. And so it was like, you don't get round to dynamite. You, you sit and you watch dynamite. But what I did expect to do was have the experience Wilborn you share with SmackDown all the time. Hmm. Way more patience. Way more sort of calm, relaxed Saturday at your like in your own time at your leisure. All those sort of phrases that we can never apply to Raw, and there's pressure every Wednesday with Dynamite because they don't have that privilege. And I did sort of feel like for the second week in a row that relaxed privilege was being abused a little bit. Like I was making time that well, oh, lovely, I'm going to sit and watch this. I don't want to be checking my watch and staring at my phone in the time of like isolated for myself to enjoy a bit of wrestling when I can be doing other things. It is understandable why they would 
hold back on the really, really good stuff for the return to Wednesdays. But I think it's folly to do another episode like this one, certainly next week. They could do with, I don't expect them to roll back, but I could do with an episode that mirrors more of a Wednesday than another Friday, like next week. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of th- some things didn't hit that they were hoping to. You know, the Andrade stuff is exciting, but it was kind of presented in a weird way, and yeah, mixed emotions uh, about other things on this on this show. And we'll, we'll we'll get into the whole interference conversation in due course, I'm sure, Sige. But let's start at the beginning of the show, uh, which started with the Young Bucks versus Pac and Penta El Zero Miedo. Um, they they uh, told us that Ray Phoenix had been attacked and f- they'd filmed the attack, but they weren't going to show it. They can see catch that on being the elite or whatever they want to do. Um, outcomes, not only the books, but all their dicky entourage. You've got Brandon Cutler, you've got Don Callis, you've got the Good Brothers. Before the match, uh, they take Young Bucks take off one of their headbands and give it to Michael Nakazawa, who then gets murdered by, I love this new name, the elite hunter himself, uh, Frankie Kazarian. Uh, Callis wanders off to go to commentary, and then the match itself starts. Uh, the, the books are knobheads. I mean, this isn't breaking news here. They they did that. They they took control. Uh, just really cocky that bit where I think it was Matt Jackson looked like he was going to do some mad, huge move out of the ring, and then he just climbed round and ran round and punched Pack in the face. I think it was eventually though. Pack uh, made a comeback avoided uh, an attack in the corner, hit a German suplex, gets Penter in, he gets the hot tag, he runs wild, sling blades and a sort of combo lung blower senton thing on both young books. Uh, Packed, they get some near falls, pump handle driver near fall, pop up power bomb near fall. Uh, they go for the Lucha Bros tag team finisher. Nick fights out uh, and there's an exchange of destroyers in all there and then Pack and Matt are out on the apron. They are joined by Penner and Nick. Um, Penta hits Matt with a package pile driver. Nick uh, takes out Pack with a suplex on the apron. All of that looked rough as all hell. Um, and then they get back in the ring. Nick's hiding behind the official. I think he poked him in the eye. Uh, and he pulled off Penta's mask to reveal a second mask underneath. Um, he lays out Nick Penta. Uh, Pack hits a black arrow. Great near fall, but uh, Matt dives in for the save. And then uh, Pack goes up top, but the official's getting distracted. Brandon Cutler jumps up there and just twats him with the camera. That allows Nick to to take Pack down, roll him up. One, two, three, post-match. They keep beating down Pack and Penta. But Eddie Kingston rungs out to make the save. More on that a little bit later on. But what did you make of the opener, Sige? The undoubted highlight of the show. Yeah. We've seen so many horrific charts over the past year of our lives. When you see this exponential increasing line and it just floods you with these fearful emotions. So I'd hate to have to use this to invoke it as an analogy, but it's just perfect to sort of visualize the excitement factor of a Young Bucks match. They've just got this incredible, incredible way of just spiking, 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 spiking that excitement. And when you consider how exciting some of the stuff they do in the first two, three minutes of a match is, they're just experts in constructing this specific kind of match. The way they built halfway organically those ridiculous destroyer sequences just popped my tits off. <laughs> it's much safer for me to say this in the confines of a podcast because I've learned never negatively tweet about WWE over a weekend. These people have no lives. Whenever you see it happen to somebody else and you see the quote tweet, go touch some grass, some absolute 
Chad, who just happens to be nice enough to say, you know what, I'll I'll spare these people's feelings. I'll hide behind a Drew McIntyre or a Roman Reigns avatar to just not make them feel bad about how ripped and how much pussy I get. <laughs> That's what I'll do. Touch some grass. Touch some grass. Touch some grass. Off. Mutant. So don't ever do that on the weekend, just from right. experience. <laughs> so I'm going to do it here instead. It's no good being this awesome heel character if there isn't this, like, mint, hard, smart baby face to oppose them. Finally, after, like, a long time of the books just being these complete arseholes, you got it with Moxley's fire-up spot. They are clever enough to get the baby face to do something awesome so that it genuinely feels cathartic when this dickhead baby face stuff finally pays off. The penta-mask spot was just amazing. Like, I popped out of my goddamn seat. Really great match. That was a really great spot. I'm happy enough with the interference within the first 20 minutes because it's pro wrestling and it's American pro wrestling at that. Just all of this, excellent though it was, was kind of undermined by the lack of discipline elsewhere on the show. Yeah, um, you can't hold the runnings and the cheating elsewhere on Dynamite against this match because it makes sense from the context of the Young Bucks characters and it's the opener of the night. And if you'd have just left it alone, it would have been a more powerful finish. Um, really liked the mask spot really loved the black arrow tease because with the titles not on the line you were suddenly completely invested in pack and penta getting this win and earning a title shot with it in that rare case of almost like wwe beat the champions booking and it would have been a surprise because AEW never do that so you were kind of ready to accept that as a finish this one time and then they still didn't give you it and the young books still won because Champions, whether heel or babyface, grind out these wins. Babyfaces do it through force of will and good work. Heels do it through cheating if they have to. So the champions do retain. Um, so yeah, like like this a lot. It's probably like I can't be higher on it because I'm probably spoiled. You know, like Young Bucks are dishing out one of these per week pretty much at this point. So as great as it was, they've just done better at a pay per view. And the feeling is they'll like they'll do better on the next dynamite. So like I wouldn't put this in like the upper echelon of Young Bucks matches, and yet it was still better than about like 75, 80% of tag wrestling I've seen anywhere else in wrestling this year. So that's the standard they're working to. Really enjoyable. Yeah, completely agree with both of you. I, I watched this having heard or seen uh, a bit of the backlash to this show online, <laughs> watched this match and was like, what are people moaning about? So obviously, uh, as you said, Sige, this was clearly the, one, of the, one of the, if not the highlight of the show. And it was followed up by another major moment. It was Mark Henry coming out to address the AW audience. Uh, he was introduced. He said, he's not here to fix AW. AW is not broken. He's here to turn the screws, like they say on Busted Open. Well, I say tighten the screws, but, you know. Uh, anyway, Tony Schiavone asked if he was going to get back in the ring. He said, he's not going to say yes right now, but he's got a lot left in the tank. And he had a sort of, sort of salmon colour top on underneath a jacket. So I was appreciative of that. Uh, anyway, Vicky Guerrero comes out to introduce him. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? Is Mark Henry going to have a fight with Nyla? I don't know what's going on. Anyway, she comes out uh, but and she gets rid of Tony Schiavone. She gets rid of Mark Henry. And she just randomly says, i got a new client. Here he is. Sandrade Alidolo. And you're like, I, I did exactly what Excalibur, I think, said. Which is going, wait a second, did you just say Andrade? Out he walks, bloody Andrade's there. Uh, he comes out, he looks a million dollars. The fans can't believe what they're seeing. Um, 
He thanks Vicky. He said he, he used to be the face of Latinos, but now he's going to be the new face of all elite wrestling. Uh, me and Sid did a podcast over the weekend, Hamlet, about what needs to happen in AEW. We didn't expect this happening on the Dynamite before that podcast got released, I'll be honest. Yeah, um, a strange one, this. So was Excalibur wanting Vicky Guerrero? Like, was, was he reiterating that because he too was shocked? Or was he reiterating because Vicky Guerrero was so trapped in a WWE shtick that you almost couldn't make out that she said Andrade because she was playing that character to such a pantomime degree um, that it sort of undermined his introduction? Because that's how it came across to me. There was buzz. Of course there was buzz. Um, I'd watched the show unspoiled. I had that feeling, I had that reaction, and a new star is here, and I'm so pleased that he's here. But they've done it again. They have, it's one of AEW's weaknesses. I think we can say that after two years at this point, they are not mastering the art of the debut, the surprise debut, especially. Um, I'm not interested in the debates of whether or not you save this for a pay per view or whether you promote it, because every single debut has a different context attached to it. Sometimes it's right to sell it. Sometimes it's right to promote it for numbers. Sometimes it's right to get the surprise pop. For some reason, over and over again, AW keep making the wrong choice. And there's a list coming to whatcoach.com soon. About 10 times they got it wrong and then fixed it afterwards because I have a lot of faith in this process. I, I've come up with 10 very easily that they've then rectified. No bother whatsoever. So I'm not like pressing the panic button. It just wasn't good again. And I felt like this with Christian at the pay-per-view and look where we are, what, a couple of months later? Things are pretty great. Um, Andrade has got like 100 dream matches in this promotion <laughs> things are going to be pretty great there's probably no roster he was better suited to than this one um, diversity, the various dynamic matches he's going to have, the use of the skills that were left to rot in WWE it's yet again going to be an advert of what this company offers that the opposition doesn't this just wasn't great they'll fix it, I didn't like this I didn't like this at all either. And I think the most succinct take I can give on this is that because AEW failed to adequately hype me on a guy who is so goddamn talented, radiates such star quality, that I watched Andrade versus Gargano just to remind me of how great he was because I didn't get any of that from this um, presentation of the character. I thought it was abject, um, confusing, if I'm looking for positives here, and I will until this goes bad, at which point I will laugh at it. I say this all the time. <laughs> I would rather something be overthought than underthought. And there was some underthought stuff on this goddamn dynamite. I think the idea, and goddamn it, Vicky Guerrero probably ruined it, was you meant to get that, ah, ah, feeling of, oh, that's Mark Henry. Oh, Christ, him. Who cares about him? He's bloody Andrade. <laughs> so I think the idea was to try to build the pop. And if anything, they just deflated it by overthinking and overcomplicating it. Um, but I remain so hyped by this because I watched the good version of Andrade in NXT, not this brilliant character introduction. Why are they allergic to a vignette? <laughs> Why are they allergic to a vignette? If anything, you could pop a goddamn number in the weeks to come because you think, oh, well, he might, he's been doing the vignettes. When's he going to come out? This didn't accomplish anything. In fact, it detracted from the idea that they just signed a star. But ultimately, goddamn it, that goddamn Gargano match. What happened in that match is that Gargano was so uh, Andrade was so unbelievable at kicking Gargano's head in, and Gargano looked so great at persevering that specific kind of damage that they completely overhauled their main event. 
they, they didn't realise our kickouts for kickout sake aren't that impressive. What Johnny Gargano specifically is kicking out of here is really impressive because look how hard and how fast and how just awesome this Andrade lad is. Andrade versus Jungle Boy and Darby Allen are going to be absolutely sensational, but I have to use my head cannon to hype this, not the presentation of the character. And uh, Jim Ross, oh, don't get knocked when you do your job badly. Suck it up and do it better next week. He's doing bad things. He's committing errors and mistakes, and he's huffing when they get pointed out. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you correct where it packs from? Like, why wouldn't you get your debuting name's star, your debuting star's name correct? Like, Jim Ross needs to just suck up the criticism and get better because he half botched this as well. Yeah, I noticed that. I I noticed. I I don't get his, like you say, his his reaction to it. It's like, well, if you don't say anything, Excalibur doesn't say anything, all in my head that remains is... That's not his name, or he's not from there. As much as it's like, oh god, I can't believe you got that wrong and had to be corrected. I'd rather have that than and the rest of the night. I would have been thinking, well, what's his name? What's his name? Say this guy's name, Jim. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that, Sige. And yeah, just a surreal way. I could again see what they're going for, but just a surreal way to debut him. But like you say, the, the potential still remains for him to be one of the major stars of this promotion. And I don't need Vicky Guerrero anywhere near him. I don't. I don't need Panto, um, <laughs> Will, Cheap Heat anywhere near him. Because I, again, I watched that goddamn Gargano match and he is so great at making the crowd think that Gargano's in such trouble. And I understand that you had a valet that just spiked this feeling later on. Um, I can't see Vicky Guerrero doing a flying head scissors off the apron, like. <laughs> but the best thing about Zelina Vega's heat was that it was like exciting pro wrestling, like as heat. I can't see Vicky Guerrero doing that. I can't see Vicky Guerrero making this guy who, as I put on Twitter, he looks like a million-dollar snack. Hmm. He looks so cool. He looks cooler. Even in this terrible introduction, he looks cooler than he ever did on the main roster. And my feeling initially is that Vicky Guerrero is just going to undermine all of this with that hmm. pantal shtick. And that is really tiresome at this point to me. Then we got Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson versus QT Marshall and Anthony Agogo. Uh, all the fallout again from Double or Nothing this. Uh, so obviously Marshall and, and Agogo take control. Eventually when we come back from the break, Cody runs wild, release suplex, that 10 punches thing in the corner. Uh, Agogo's clearly going to get in and get involved. So Rhodes cuts him off before he can do that. Hits him with a disaster kick on the apron. Uh, snap power slam on Mar- uh, Marshall, uh, gets Marshall in the figure four, but out of nowhere, a go-go comes flying out of the sky and nails Cody with a frog splash. Uh, that allows Marshall to hit the diamond cutter on Cody, but Cody kicks out. I think this was Lee Johnson was meant to dive in and break it up, but just to be just to be sure, because it was getting tight, Cody kicked out. Regardless, um, a go-go takes Lee Johnson out of the ring. They're brawling on the outside. Uh, Cody and Marshall are, are trading. And then all of a sudden, outruns Aaron Solo, distracts the official, uh, and as, go, uh, as Cody sets up to hit the crossroads, on Marshall, that allows a go-go to come in and just nail him with that knockout punch to the face. QT um, Marshall pins Cody, then gets on the microphone and announces Michael Hamlet that he shot the world. I got the reference. I didn't particularly care to see it though. Um, this match was all right, like aggressively fine. 
credit uh, the production of the frog splash spot because that whole thing works when the person comes in from absolutely nowhere and they shot it really well. They didn't like cut to them getting on the top rope and kill the moment. So like credit to them for that because that again put the spotlight on a go-go effectively. There's a couple of things I really didn't like about this match and one of them wasn't even the running, even though here's the second and there's going to be more. There was another trend on this Dynamite that I didn't like that I think was actually worse than the run-ins and that was that feeling that the pay-per-view didn't settle anything. You these pay-per-views don't come around that often. That AEW has understood the value of the quarterly show and that it's all the big, all the big payoffs. Um, there are exceptions, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, they feel earned, or it's because they want to, in the case of the exploding bar by death like death match, actually justify why things went wrong. You know, that was why there was a continuation with Moxley and Kingston and things like that. Um, this is one of several segments on this show. There's another one coming right next and at least one more that I can think of later where you get that really awful nagging WWE. This isn't over. This will never be over. It's like, you're a more creative company than that. Don't do that when people are dropping $50 or whatever it is on your shows because that will make them feel less special. We were worried about like QT getting the Triple H TV win here. Um, Oh, sorry, Anthony Gogo getting that. He didn't, but the the effect was still the same because he leathered Cody with two of them punches at the pay-per-view and he didn't get it done. And one has on television. And again, I'm like, kind of, Anthony Gogo's feeling normalised. I'm sort of losing sight of what that, that punch is exactly supposed to represent. I know this one was the one at the face and the one to the ribs have resulted in a stoppage. Cody's taking a couple and he, he still got the win. Like the booking feels a bit all over the place. A little bit slapdash and the match wasn't good enough to make me even want to see that much more of it. A, a, a bit of a miss, this whole thing. Yeah, a bit of a mess. I can't. I have to completely echo that point. One of my favourite low-key moments in the history of AEW and AEW Dynamite is the post All Out 2020 Dynamite. After Hangman Page and Kenny Omega lost their titles, there was no, oh, well, we'll have another rematch, or hmm. oh, we're fine, or this thing must keep keep going. What happened was, and it's one of these wonderful post-pay-per-view shows where the events of the pay-per-view are so final and climactic that there's kind of like an eerie reverberation. Mm. What I mean by that is the post-show, the post-pay-per-view dynamites always feel like total slow burns to a new direction or everything that just happened on this on the weekend is like sold with like a big gravity. Hangman Page was despondent at having lost his titles and that just made you sympathise with him all the more for how he'd been manipulated. Kenny Omega, meanwhile, in perfect symmetry, was like, right, okay, well, I could be a single star now, don't have that albatross, I can be the Kenny, old Kenny Omega again. And it just instantly built what's going to happen a year from that point forward. And it made the pay-per-view feel like this thing that had actually happened and it had loads of dramatic consequences. I got literally zero of that from this match. Hmm. I'm hesitant to say 50-50 because I doubt very much this is going to just continue on the express purpose of just churn, 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 nothing matters. Stupid idiots, we've got the rights fee. You don't matter. You can't, in good conscience, position it alongside that. But it did feel a bit pointless. It did feel like, oh, why have I just spent money watching that pay-per-view? It feels like I've got no incentive to watch the next two weeks of shows because it, it legitimately feels like everything is going to um, just start up again on the 26th. I just don't want to feel like my time's being wasted. And I very much got that here. A few positives. The Frog Splash was great. And this crowd must have sat through like six days worth of dark tapings because they were dead. They mm. were absolutely 
dead and they were like packed together. I've heard the distanced crowds make more noise than the crowd on this dynamite. So I think the taping schedule is what it is, but they were dead. And yet Lee Johnson stuff like really unglued them. Like they were mm. back for his um, hot tag. So that was promising. It was nice to see him get a spot again. Other than that, again, like the whole idea is these are premium, consequential, big four pay-per-views. And that was ruthlessly undersold on this night. Right, let's move on next to the Inner Circle celebration. Uh, Jericho introduced the Inner Circle. They had their own their own <laughs> matching T-shirts and matching leather vests going on. Uh, and he announced that everyone who attended Dynamite even got one of those special 2021 Stadium Stampede Champions T-shirts. And then introduced the hero of Stadium Stampede, Sammy Guevara, who got a great reception. He said he loved ending the match with a 6.30 onto that idiot Sean Spears. Talked about practicing it or just doing it when his mum told him to get get off the roof when he was growing up. Santana came up. I love Santana on the mic. So you're absolutely spot on. He, he, he comes on. He said it was the greatest moment in their careers. Uh, but he wondered what they truly accomplished because they still have to see the pinnacle in the hallways. They still have to, you know, interact with them at the job, basically. Uh, he said FTR tried to end their careers. So this pinnacle stuff is far from over. Jake Hager said the pinnacle don't get to say when the fight is over. He'd take them out again and again and again. And he challenged Wardno to an MMA cage fight in a couple of weeks on Dynamite. Jericho reiterated that, saying the war isn't over. Talks about how everything about the pinnacle, in particularly MJF, pisses him off. Talks about how MJF nearly killed him. He said it was personal with MJF. Uh, Blood and guts haunts him. He's going to settle the score. Everything they've done so far isn't enough until he can ruin MJF's career and... Uh, like MJF tried to ruin his life, ruin that as well. This will never be over. He's going to beat MJF. The inner circle never forgives and never effing forgets. Hamlet, what did you think? It was all right. Um, it was the better of the, this match must continue, this feud must continue on this on this show. Um, an MMA cage fight, it's, it's just a bunch of interesting sounding words together that I want to see. You know, Wardlow and Hager. Um I don't think at this point there's like loads of juice left in the fruit because they've had like a lot of battles and stare downs and stuff like that, including one in a cage. But I'll watch one more go of it because this just sounds different and unique. Um, a proper like, set of stuff that I wanted to see. I will give them that. For a feud, I felt completely bored with, I kind of want one version of all of this. Um, I like that Sammy doesn't have his split match because he's won the big one already. The push is working. It's feeling effective. It's going to be successful for him. And MJF and Chris Jericho surely has to be something along the lines of loser leaves or loser's gone for a year. There was a tone. I think he said, was it something like, if it's the last thing I I do, I'll beat you, MJF. Like, all that sort of stuff. Um, Maybe an injury in blood and guts would have been a perfect way to write off Chris Jericho, but that one's gone now. So instead, why not try and do it in a singles match instead? Um, All right. Like a decent promo, a decent promo, um, but but like it's it's just still more in a circle pinnacle. I just think they found a pretty good way to dress that up. Yeah, there was a lot to like about this, and I'll go into that. But I didn't love it. I didn't really feel a great deal for it. And whenever Chris Jericho talks about, I've got no doubt that was a tremendously risky thing to take, right? But when he keeps talking about how. Like the seriousness and the gravitas of that fall, knowing that he came back a week later. I'm sorry, it's just a bit like taking the piss for me. It just is. Um, the things that I liked, 
I like the T-shirt gimmick because even on a bad execution dynamite, they were still trying to do lots of things and like be really attentive. Um, it didn't pay off with the Britt Baker thing, which we'll get to. But in addition to trying to build that gag, which did not land at all, but they tried to do it. I can't fault the effort. It's so much better to overthink something or to think about something full stop. Um, the T-shirt thing's cute because if you remember last year, Chris Jericho was such a great heel arsehole and I think it's becoming clear a much better heel. There was such heel arseholes in a circle that they got those, remember when I got those T-shirts printed? Like stadium stampede winners written across them last <laughs> year and they're lost and then the next dynamite started. It's like, oh Christ, what are we going to do with all this? What are we going to do with all this? So it was a <laughs> little baby face spin on that side gag, which I liked. I also liked how it tried to build to something else. I don't hate the fact that it's over because it going 1-1 would go 50-50 totally. I don't hate the fact that the heels have done the challenge. Um, it's the baby faces. I prefer it that way because the baby face is meant to have honour. The baby face is not meant to accept a victory that's tainted. You're not meant to celebrate a roll-up by scoring up the ramp like a bitch. And <laughs> by the same extension, you're not meant to like celebrate and equalise like you've won the World Cup final. I like how there's still that asterisk. It's still 1-1. All of that's good, but I'm, not, I'm still not particularly jazzed by it. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? And I'll tell you what I'm really worried about. It's good that they're doing it taped because those Wardlow-Hager MMA exchanges and blood and guts were quietly quite rubbish. There was a lot of like nice forky violence in the background and there was lots to pay attention to. But I thought it was an MMA simulation. I thought that was actively bad. So I've got no idea why they're going back to it. They must have an idea of a good match because it didn't look good at blood and guts. Yeah, lots to like, but nothing that all tethered together nicely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hmm. you mentioned uh going back over stuff that we've seen at the double or nothing and more of that came next we had orange Cassidy and the best friends they're backstage uh chuck and trent call out kenny omega and don Callis for their actions and the fact that Cassidy, i think they said had the match won twice called him a cheater 
Uh, and Orange said, if you think this is over, it's not. And then we cut immediately to Omega and Callis who are reviewing the tape and editing stuff together. They're going to blow this conspiracy wide open in the words of Don Callis. Um, and then Omega gets asked about his Jungle Boy defence in a few weeks. Um, I thought that, was, have I dreamt this sigil? Was it meant to be next week and then they've moved it? I understand why, but is that is that right? Well, yeah, it was meant to be um, this week. The two yeah. weeks after the double or nothing, but they've changed it because they realized, hang on, we need a hot, fresh crowd for this. I don't know if they are. I, I think it's in the can. The next two episodes are in the can. They're either in front of the same crowd, and spoilers might get out, or they're in front of just like a closed set with like the, the dark crew. But I think they realized, hang on, if you look at how popular Jungle Boy is, it makes zero sense to do this then. So it's a smart move. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Omega said there is a difference between a jungle boy and a jungle man. And then he talked about his music and sang it and they made Marvez jan- dance along with them to it. Uh, <laughs> Sid, your thoughts on these two uh, these two segments? I like them. You're allowed to do some things more often. And in fact, you can make the argument that AEW doesn't quite do enough when they're still juicing the fruit. They move on very quickly. Usually we've got the other side of the extreme. Um, on this dynamite, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense for Orange Cassidy to do that. And it's even better because you're not getting the rematch in one week. It feels like something that's going to linger in the background, which is good. Um, you got reassurance of that by the fact that they built the Jungle Boy match. Kenny Omega calling Michael Nakazawa, Michael Kurosawa. It's absolutely wonderful. Like a genuine deep cut of a gag that it's going to be lost on so many wrestling fans, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. It's not a pretentious twat, but it was a really good line just... It's the idea that he's like this masterful film director. It's just absolutely hilarious. Not like blow away great, but I enjoyed the sequence of events to to build from Cassidy to Jungle Boy and then into the next segment. Like good formatting with some funny boy poppers in there. I think, yeah, as Cedric points out, like it's not, they're not going back to Orange Cassidy right away. So you can do that. My takeaway here was I kind of wish Orange Cassidy hadn't been pinned. I think it was odd that the pinned wrestler was the one saying it's not over because I say it's not over. It's a little bit NXT that when the one that wasn't pinned is back working tag matches and this week at least not giving a toss. That it, like that's the wrong way around. If Pack had been pinned, Orange Cassidy would have this voice. Um, so I feel like if this was the plan, like I wonder why that was the finish they went with. Um, but it's it's not going to be right now. It's going to be Orange Cassidy eating this loss, I guess, and not waiting patiently but being made to wait. So I, th- I think it's all right. I just, I'd, I would have personally switched the finish on the Sunday if this was your intent for this week's episode because Pac fairly seamlessly slid straight back into the tag division. Mm. Uh, mentioning Jungle Boy, he was teaming with Christian Cage against Private Party next, uh, who were accompanied to ringside by Matt Hardy. More on that in a bit. Um, I love the part where Private Party, I still can't really understand how they wrestle in like, a t-shirt or you know a smart polo and bloody chinos but still i love the bit where they did the five second pose then beat up christian and then forced him to do the five second pose obviously that was subsequently reversed but i just that got me that i very much enjoyed that um yeah so they they go to do that and uh, christian reverses Christian reverses the five-second pose. There's a sentence I never thought I'd say uh, to hit reverse DDTs. Tags in Jungle Boy. He runs wild. He's just beloved by the fans. And then just more evidence as why, as why they were so spot on to give him that win, win in the uh, Casino Battle Royal. Um, 
He hits a rebound lariat on uh, Mark Quinn, hits a brain buster, gets rid of Cassidy, floated in for a DDT for a turn two count. He's getting numerous two counts in amongst all this. Uh, goes for the snare trap, but uh, in comes Isaiah Cassidy, breaks it up. Christian's running interference then. Um, Cassidy pokes Jungle Boy in the eye. Mark Quinn rolls him up, gets a big handful of tights, but still only gets a two count, only gets the near fall. Private party, go for gin and juice. Christian breaks it up, though, uh, and Jungle Boy comes off the top, uh, reverses Mark Quinn, gets him in the snare trap. Submission victory. He celebrates, and uh, as Christian gives him his moment and starts walking up the ramp, he gets attacked by Matt Hardy on the, on the ramp, gets hit with a twist of fate. Uh, is this the bit where you want to talk about, you know, post-match issues or interference or, or are we saving that for later? We'll just might as well get over with now. Um, I enjoyed the match for what it was. It was really nice to see Private Party actually wrestle like a new heel act. Um, different kind of personality. Like the, there's quite a creative taunt that I don't think I've seen in Christian being an absolutely sharp as hell wrestling mind made wrestling out of that taunt and gave you the catharsis from the baby face. Like, that's exactly what you want to see out of Christian and AEW. And for once, I'm not just saying it like, oh, it's really solid work, that really good, really good match. <laughs> like it's, it's actually developing characters and showing them that you can do this in the context of an actual pro wrestling match. So that was good. Jungle Boy, it's always nice to see him because he's just so tremendous and he's so popular. And it's just nice to see. I, they have vastly, 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 vastly overestimated how much people give a toss about seeing Matt Hardy versus Christian Cage in 2021. I get it. Mm. If you did 20 years ago and something that everyone liked, here's what's happened. This is a very reductive take, but I don't think it's untrue. A generation of professional wrestlers, some of which are at the high end of this new mainstream company, were the guys who watched the Attitude Era and watched wrestling in the 90s, and their favourite thing about it was Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn in the TLC matches. And their affection towards these guys is just too much. It's going too far. This reeks of TNA. Like it just actually like smells to me. Reeks of TNA. I've got no interest in it whatsoever. It's the complete opposite of what I want from Christian Cage in this new context, i.e. a new context. Um, couldn't hate that tease direction anymore. Save it at least for eight minutes on a dynamite over because you'll get a crowd who are probably more invested in this kind of thing than I am. And get it over with. I don't need to see this at all. Um, and it's a shame because it's scuppered like this youthful new feeling. You've not only you've got this new tag team, but they're doing new things, and you've got Jungle Boy, and it all gets bogged down with some residual TNE stink at the end. There's a happy ending to all of this. I was on Twitter during the show, which I watched live, and unanimously, my entire timeline was just unanimously against. Just the constant interference, the repetition, just the bustling activity on the outside. Even if it didn't inform the finish, mm. it still takes away from the decisiveness. It still takes away from the fact that this is meant to be this sporting emulation. The, the entire timeline, and they are connected to this timeline. There are people who they follow on this timeline that were just completely done, cooked with the amount of activity. It's not just... The, the, the winds are still clean, you got two instances where there was some activity, but then the heels were thwarted, and then you got an extra minute of a match in the, the baby face. It's still too much. It's still redundant. The silver lining is that this is the company that listens. This is the self-aware company. This is the company that isn't arrogant, arrogant enough to think that they've got it locked in. 
there will be some regrouping. I don't think we're going to see it on um, the next two weeks, which I believe are in the can, but I think there'll be some actual regrouping because this dynamite got slaughtered, um, possibly more than it deserved, but it got slaughtered. I think it's the culmination of so many people for a long time thinking, oh, this is a bit bad, this is a bit bad, and it just exploded. Everyone's like, oh, can't be bothered. Um, so the silver lining is hopefully you'd think, knowing what we know about this company, they will regroup and think, right, we're going to have to stop this. Yeah, this is the, like this is the company that is occasionally prone to human error because it's run by human beings instead of the sentient android that Vince McMahon oh, is today. A human being. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the the elite. Um, but yeah, no, it's like you can you can feel it. You can absolutely feel it when um, you know. I'm just one person on a podcast. If I say mistakes were made, then that might cast everybody's opinion as the same when it's obviously not that. But when you feel like mistakes are being made equally you can feel the sense in the air that they'll be corrected um and it takes a long time to erode that trust especially from wrestling fans wrestling fans get all manner of abuse considering that they're some of the more trusting people in their their chosen sort of thing that they enjoy to watch and invest in um because yeah like the the really wholesome feeling around the christian jungle boy team which like i maintain will ultimately be fractured by christian's annoyance with younger guys eventually like that wholesome feeling was flushed away a little bit by the christian matt hardy interaction after the fact and that was a that was a real shame to the extent where and this is this was the worst thing for me i think it will be on dynamite and i think it will be unique i guess to see these two in an eight minute television match on the opposition if you want to call it that the worst thing about it is the optics because that match graphics gonna flash up on twitter and Think of how much fun the bad faith actors are going to have with that. Christian versus Matt Hardy this week on Dynamite. What are some absolutely minging Twitter accounts going to do with that match graphic? So, I don't know. Don't toss chum into the water, which is what this <laughs> yeah. match is. Um, I, I, I don't need much more of this. So, I, I personally wouldn't mind if it was on one of these Friday ones, but I, I sense as Cedric says it will. It will be kept for Wednesday. It might draw, you know, like cynically. Cynically, it might draw. Hmm. Yeah, I I think it will draw, and uh, yeah, I I I I I can see where you're coming from, Sage. I think I think this was just not necessarily this bit, but the the interferences and in, involvement and you know outside shenanigans, let's just say, was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back this week. Because like you say, I just saw a whole wave of backlash, and then when I got finished watching Dynamite, I was like, yeah, it was annoying, but it wasn't like so much so to ruin the entire show for me. I think it was just like you say that, just build and build and build of, of previous weeks of like, oh, all right, well, I'll allow that because this other thing happened. But yeah, this was just this was just the week where it all it all happened and the backlash broke out online. But yes, next two weeks are what they are. Like you say, they've already been taped probably. But I agree. I think they will listen. I think they will take that on board because they often do with with these things in terms of like when you complain about things being put in the wrong place or whatever, there's a course correction. So uh, fingers crossed for going forward from that. I did like the promo that came next. It was team Taz. Um, and they were saying about how hangman page had got lucky in his match at double or nothing against Brian cage next week. It is going to be uh, Brian cage and powerhouse Hobbs versus hangman page and a, a dark order member. And all I could think about here, Hamlet, or all I could concentrate on here was not even the words that was being said or the sneer on Powerhouse Hobbs's face or even Brian Cage's reaction to all this. Hook did not take his eyes off Brian Cage for this entire promo. And that's ominous for me. Yeah, it was like, 
like really funny as much as it was that as much as the sense of violence hung in the air it was really really funny to see Hook staring down and attempting to stare out Brian Cage a man as big as he is like Hook's not a small man he's bigger than his dad but it's Brian Cage he's staring at so like that's entertaining in of itself of the potential of what it offers um and yeah like I like the I like the Hangman Page Dark Order match I like this is this is di- sometimes hard to articulate and explain but this is different to the continuation because what this is isn't a continuation fully of Team Taz and Hangman Page. It's the Brian Cage split from mm. Team Taz. You absolutely can do things to follow on. You can't just repeat the process over and over again. Just to go back to Christian, have they dropped Christian and Team Taz cold? Because I don't feel like we've ever had much in the way of satisfactory payoffs there. Was it just a, there to talk about the Battle Royal? Because I was kind of more into like Christian Cage having to run through some of them. And I think we were all sort of salivating at the prospect of one day Christian Cage and Ricky Starks. And that now feels as good as gone. Like with the with the, the hangman page target in here. It's weird because I thought they'd abandon that thread realizing that they couldn't do Cage versus Starks, mm. which is the match that everyone fantasy would so it's a shame, but they knew what people wanted there. It's weird because why abandon this thread? Which makes me think they haven't in fact abandoned the thread because so much of the battle royal was worked around Christian and Powerhouse Hulk. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll simply revisit it after the hangman page stuff. Is done. Who knows? It's one of those juries out. Mm. You've got investment in this company. If it was WWE, you just automatically think that it's completely done, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> More fallout from Double or Nothing with Sting and Darby Allen chatting to Tony Schiavone next. Uh, he congratulated them on their win, and Sting took the mic and said he's had many incredible wrestlers, many incredible experiences in wrestling, but Double or Nothing will be a night he never forgets. It stands up uh, to anything he's ever done in this business. Got the whole you still got it chance, and then as they were going to continue and talk about his relationship with Darby Allen, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page pop up on the video board. They sarcastically applaud him. They say, Sting, you were remarkable on Sunday. And then uh, Ethan Page said, yeah, if you hadn't been there to save the day when, Alan, when I choyed Allen out of the ring and over the barricade, he might still be laying there. Um, all Page saw was not, you know, this, this mentor uh, and mentee figure with, with uh, Darby Allen and Sting but a spineless, codependent bitch. And they challenged Darby Allen to find anyone other than Sting to fight them. Sige. Mm. This is the real quiz. <laughs> Elements of. So I wasn't sure about that. Do I have the idea that, like, I mean, <laughs> I loved Sting at Double or Nothing so much. Like, so much. But not so much that I thought, well, he's on a completely different planet to everybody else, and it doesn't count that they lost to him. You know what I mean? Like the whole idea is you meant to position Darby Allen and Sting equally. That's the true genius of this bit. So I didn't get enough of that. I don't know. It's all a bit weird. This it feels like we've got two weeks, two weeks before anything else. Mm. I popped huge at this. I thought this was really funny. Um, Using the phrase spineless bitch when you're offering the proviso that you'll only wrestle a guy if he's not got his 62-year-old partner. That <laughs> <laughs> was just like, uh, well, inspired heel shtick, but from two, like, as a result, two low-rent comedic heels, which I guess is how I receive them. Like, if I cared more for the future of Scorpio, Sky, and Ethan Page, I'd be like, ooh, you sort of finished here. But I just thought it was, like, it really, really genuinely made me laugh. Like, uh, yeah, little spineless bitch. We'll wrestle you, but not with him. Not with, <laughs> not, with like, not with one of the oldest living wrestlers ever. 
Like, absolutely not. Um, it obviously imbues him with some sort of superpowers as well. Sting will be a pay-per-view in-ring attraction, and it's stuff like this that I think probably preserves it. Um, yeah, as Cedric points out, maybe maybe this wasn't one to go back to, but I don't care a great deal about Page and Sky, so I don't mind them being reduced to figures of fun. <laughs> and they'll lose again, won't they? Like, if anything, this is probably going to set up Darby Allen's next arc because he's going to find an ally that can work with him more regularly. Um, and AW great at that, like setting up sort of makeshift tag teams and makeshift groups and stables and trios and stuff. This is probably for Darby Allen to have that as an addition to his growing act as kind of the, the next, well, the made man and the next sort of AW champion type figure. Love it if they went, well, Sting's not in this match, but Surface Sting is. <laughs> it just... <laughs> That'd be tits. That'd be tits. Oh, absolutely. I still one thing Sting is not ready to face you on AW Dynamite, but I think you know the guy. Woo! Service things here. Dar- Darby Allen's got somebody, and Jim Ross is there with a the call. That's Robocop, Bob. I mean, it's, and Excalibur's like uh, it's uh, Excalibur actually. I know who it is. <laughs> Uh, next, something that uh, Sid alluded to earlier just didn't quite land. You could see what they were going for here, but it, it didn't. It didn't work. Basically, uh, Britt Baker's having her women's championship celebration with all the. I was going to say goobers, but bad, n- evil mid card wrestlers uh, is the best way I suppose, I suppose of putting it. There's the there's, uh, Cesar Bononi and, and Peter Avalon and Luther and, and Nyla Rose is there in the background rolling her eyes quite a lot throughout this segment uh, anyway Baker's cutting a promo uh, she says congratulations everyone uh, thanks for your support etc we, we've got as you can see uh, I got donated thousands of free burgers as a result of my victory and I'm going to donate them all to you just check under your seats as Chris Jericho had done earlier with the t-shirts sight you're not getting them they're all here in the ring bollocks to you guys not much of a reaction to all this uh but she talks she talks about it basically being not down to the fans or anyone else it's all about her it's down to her for her, her winning this aw women's world title uh she talks about the letters dmd being everywhere and being the letters that are going to carry this company forward uh she invites uh, rebel reba uh to have a burger tony shimoni gets invited to have a burger and she's like jesus christ grab it with both, both hands tony get on with it um and then in the midst of all this nyla rose comes around and twats the burgers out of their hands, hoys the rest of them into the crowd, pops some balloons and storms off. It looks like, Hamlet, we are heading towards Britt Baker versus Nyla Rose. Yeah, which is fine. Um, I just wish I found a different way to do it. I thought this was rubbish. Um, I can appreciate, obviously, a, a couple of gags here. Like, I like that they've used this strange thing with McDonald's without saying it as much, but like Britt Baker's like strange interaction with McDonald's, bringing that into television is fine. I'm not sure if everybody was completely aware of that. So maybe the lack of audience enthusiasm for the, the bit is one of the, is maybe one of the reasons why, or they were just tired. They've seen all them, them dark tapings or whatever. Um, it was just the idea that I really didn't like. Um, Britt Baker, it was last year, I think it was, when she did Chris Jericho's podcast and she was saying how grateful she was to work with him all the time. And you got the impression, I think like it was maybe his idea to get her bloody face on a, on the Kiss t-shirt. It sounds like a very Chris Jericho thing, doesn't it? And obviously, you know, that was like a big moment for her. And she, and why would you not like have somebody like a Chris Jericho as somebody to lean in uh, to for guidance and stuff backstage? Um, but this, and I wish there hadn't been this in a circle segment earlier on the show because I would have still said this. This was too 
Chris Jericho post-pay-per-view, and you can't supplant that on everybody. I felt like this was an AW idea being given to Britt Baker rather than a Britt Baker idea playing out. I don't think it was where her style level is at. There was other ways to do the championship celebration. There was other ways to set up the feud with Nyla Rose. This felt absolutely like something they would promote on a Dynamite for another character. It's a trope they like more than something Britt Baker is particularly... She's expert in it, but just I think she's above it, quite honestly. I think she's like a star level is above it that I expected something far more creative than what we got. I'm completely the wrong side of that. Um, I think it was a collaboration, a coordinated gag between Jericho and Britt Baker, who are close mm. and have a like, mutually um, respectful relationship. I just didn't land. It did not land. The whole idea was that one gag or one thing tried to beget the other. And if can you imagine if it was a, quite a hot crowd who were like willing to play along of like these just fat Americans scrambling under their chairs. Oh, burger! Uh! <laughs> and then finding nothing. And then just the booze raining out and Baker pissing herself, laughing. The super athlete in incredible shape, laughing at all these slobs. You couldn't get the burger. If this had landed, and it was very it was very optimistic that such a thing would land in front of this knackered, not many people there crowd, then yes, that would have been a wonderful build on what happened in the previous segment. Nice little joke between Baker and Jericho. As it happens, about one person looked under the chair. No one thought that was anything under the chair. The idea was probably too cute because, as you say, Baker likes McDonald's on Twitter. Who knows about that? Obviously, not many people in the audience. So it just felt a little bit too inside a baseball. And all of this came at the expense of the actual point. Mm. It's fair enough to do a gag. That didn't land. But the actual point is you want to build a challenger and Nile Rose just look like a dick. And she's not. Like, she is absolutely not a dick. She's got one of the best Twitter games. She's really funny and or ferocious. And she was neither here. Like, mm. she was unlikable and just soft. Like, petty. The, the important thing was a failure. And the nice idea that was just superfluous to the important thing also did not land bad. But I like the idea. I'm just so grateful that they've actually thought about something. Like, when they've been... There's, there's such a thing in the AEW as a trope now, and that saddens me. I liked any application of thought, even if the execution wasn't bad on the show. Eddie Kingston's uh, about to be interviewed about saving Pack and Penta when they storm in and said, we didn't need any of your help. And he said, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and think on that. And that's inevitably going to be followed up in the next few weeks. And then we got Red Velvet versus the Bunny uh, fallout from, I think they match on Dark or Dark Elevation where uh, the Bunny had used a brass knocks, but he tried to jump Velvet before the bell, but Velvet just heard her coming basically. Uh, dodged, uh, hit a standing moonsault for a two count straight away. Thrilling opening to this match. Uh, and then Velvet went for a dive through the ropes. Oh my God, my heart was in my mouth as she landed that. She almost went, I'm not sure if she did go full litre, sort of landing on herself and bending herself and all that. Seems to be fine. That's the most important thing here. Anyway, uh, the officials dealing with uh, Big Swall and Carlin King uh, at one point. That allows the blade to try and or do slip Ali the brass nut. She swings for Swirl, who dodges it, who then hits the just desserts for the victory. Um, scary that bump for Red Velvet, but she emerges victorious, Sige. This is where everything I praise this company for 
there's a limit to it. There's a limit to everything that's good and makes sense. Like, why does Red Velvet need pals? The greatest will in the world. That, again, it's probably good that there should be a women's stable. So I don't want to come across as the 35-year-old white guy goes, oh, God, women have got friends now. Jesus Christ. But it comes at the expense of... I, I it didn't buy it because it just appeared out of nowhere. And it just adds an extra wrinkle of activity to a show that is numbing in its activity at this point. If the idea was Red Velvet's going to get a win because she's a really good TV challenger, TV level challenger for Britt Baker, don't do tropes. They're tropes now. Honestly, it was saddening. The match itself, I thought was good. Um, I think the bunny is underrated. She's really useful in this role. And despite that terrifying moment, I continue to be well behind Red Velvet as someone who can be almost there now. So that's all good, but I just didn't need the extra wrinkle. Like, come on, man. Those early dynamites where I was like, every, everyone, everyone was clean virtually. And then when the inner circle did their stuff, it genuinely felt like, like a you know, transgression. Like those days are like evaporating. Yeah. Um, I completely echo that. I, I thought the intent of all of this was good. Um, but I was just left feeling really cold at the end, and that was why, because I too enjoyed the match. Um, when you get away with a dive like that, it then becomes sort of okay to celebrate the bravery of the babyface. You know, if it goes badly wrong, then you have to look at it as inexperience, and you have to kind of like analyse it as there's the real dangers of all of this. But instead, what it does now is that it puts over an extra, like an extra element to Red Velvet's game as a babyface, which is that she's like willing to throw caution to the wind that will come up you know and hopefully it'll come up safe next time but like that'll come up a lot more now that that's a part of their character so you kind of get a bit of a freebie that pro wrestling will throw you sometimes when you come out of that unscathed and thankfully she did because i thought the match was pretty good um the added detail of now red velvet having mates and obviously the bunny having the blade on her side is i don't know i think it's better than nothing in this case because it implies at least that there are angles and matches and angles and matches to follow and that's still neat that's like the the main thing mm. um as a straight singles match of this standard i think it would have looked more like your generic aw quarter hour women's match than this maybe did so you know like ty conti wins these all the time but now she's not got anna j or the dark order keeping an eye it doesn't seem like she's got much direction Whereas this sort of was at least the, gave the impression of direction for Red Velvet, even if they've maybe got loads in mind. So it was all right. It was, it was okay. But it, again, I think it probably suffered from being on this show more than anything else. Uh, the Dark Order are backstage. They're celebrating John Silver's birthday. Happy belated birthday, of course, John Silver. Uh, but he's not just hungry for cake. He's hungry for gold. And he's been given a TNT title shot, but he's not cleared to wrestle. So he's going to gift that to Evil Uno, who's... Uh, was jolly excited to face Miro. And then we got to Miro. <laughs> he thanks God for his power. Shout out, shout, gives a shout out to his wife for being hot. Uh, he says it doesn't make sense for Evil Uno to challenge him for the title. He's bigger, faster, he's stronger. And this is no place for people who think they might win. Um, this is going to be a teachable lesson for the rest of the locker room. Only come after Miro when you are sure you can survive. Oh, God, I'm really scared for what Mira's going to do to Evil Uno Hamlet. Yeah, um, I had a good match. Like, can't wait, can't wait to see the match. I wasn't crazy on this as a, as a build, for it, to be honest. Um, 
why give John Cena uh, John Cena? Why give John Silver a title match if he's not cleared? Um, it's the details company, and we review this with higher standards than we review every other wrestling show. It's a weird way that they've arrived at this, and it seems as if what they wanted to do is establish the cartoonish spectacle of Miro murking the poor. Sympathetic once masked heel of the Dark Order Evil Uno. Like there's there's a lot of great stuff there. They've absolutely thought through that match and how it'll look and how it'll feel. Um just feels really clunky getting there. Nice of Miro to shout out Lana in what must be a pretty rubbish week for her as well. Um but yeah, just I, I don't know. Like again, I wonder if you'd be kinder to this on awesome dynamite, but I just thought that was a weird detail that they seem to have underthought a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. Here's the thing. It's I'd rather this company was nice more than it was nasty. Evil Uno got a really good pop. A really nice pop at double or nothing. Yeah. Tony Khan's realized, oh hang on, he's got more of an audience than I thought. He's perfect as this challenger, this really plucky, like he's so funny, Evil Uno. Like, and he's a worker as well. This is a nice match to do. It was nice of me to shout out Lana, as you say. It's nice to reward people who get over. It's all very nice. Just, I don't know, is it too nice for like, the expense of actual drama, actual really hot matches? Like Miro versus Evil Uno is going to be good. It's not going to blow us away. I mean, I hope it does now that I've said it. Um, just there's a sense that it's a bit indulgent and nice at times, AEW. Yeah, I, I think you're going to get the bad faith takes of like, oh, doesn't everyone get a title shot on their birthday now? That's what's going to come off the back of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's fine there's more latitude of the TNT title because it's got a history of open challenges, but they could have arrived at it in a way that didn't have a plot hole. And there's just too many... It's nice to be nice, but at the same time, it's better being great. <laughs> <laughs> great than to be nice, and there's a lot of... Like, the burger thing, oh, you like burgers? Oh, well, that would be nice if we did that because I know you like burgers, and there's a bit of patter on social media there. I'll be nice because even when we've got the pop of double or nothing, it would be great. I'd much, much rather you'd be great. Main event was uh, there ne- next to conclude the show, this brutal bull rope match, Justin Rhodes versus Nick Camarotto. Uh, early on, uh, Dustin uses the rope to hit, hit Camarotto low, but he immediately comes back and chokes Dustin with it. Uh, Dustin pointing out using the, the cowbell. They spill to the floor. Uh, Dustin this time chokes uh, Nick Camarotto. They spill into the audience. Uh, they're brawling there. A Fuego del Sol gets shoved out of the way, so he jumps on Camarotto's back and then just gets thrown at all the other members of the crowd. Um, in the midst of all this, uh, Aaron Sola runs out and attacks Dustin Rose, but I don't think we see it, and uh, we find out that uh, Nick Camarotto, in amongst all this, has been busted open, that wild man with blood pouring down his face. I love that visual. Um, they're fighting on the apron, <laughs> so Solo just gets a table and sets it up for them at ringside. Uh, Dustin uh, takes Camarotto down, goes for a kick, but Camarotto avoids it, catches Dustin, power bombs him through the table. I love. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Tony Schiavone who said, "I love the line." He was like, he had him up for the power bomb. <laughs> Tony Giovanni, Tony Giovanni basically going, uh-oh. He, he said, well, there's only one way to go from here. Boom! Through the table he goes. Uh, he rolls Dustin into the ring, gets a two count. Solo tries to get involved, but I, uh, I believe one of the, I think it was Colton Gunn runs out, takes him out. Uh, Dustin hits final reckoning, reckoning, but Nick Camarato kicks out at just one. So Dustin low blows him, 
tries to take him down with clotheslines, but uh, Comarato won't go down. In the midst of all this, Aaron Solo has exposed the corner turnbuckle in an attempt to help Comarato, but this time he uh, goes to take out Dusty Rhodes in the corner and lands on it himself. Um, gets hit with another shot with the ball rope by Dustin Rhodes, who then hits a diving bulldog and hogtied Comarato in the ball rope to get the pinfall victory. I'm not sure if I have mixed emotions about whether or not Dustin Rhodes should have won this one, but uh, a fun little brawl. What do you think, Sage? I don't care that he won it. Comrade was green. And this is a company that's got like, there's at least 20 people in the queue ahead of him who could be like a breakout star on this TV program. Um, so I've got no reservations about who won. In fact, it's probably better at some point to restore that gravitas that Dustin Rhodes has because it's, when he does put someone over, it actually means something. I don't know how much it would have meant um, if we put over Comoroto here. I think I was just in the mood with the show at this point because this match did very little for me. And here, you never want a dynamite that actually warrants bad faith criticism. Like, here's the thing. It's way more nuanced than it seems on the surface. A lot of the criticism of AEW to the point where people think because this is a company that gets just mutants giving it the big one because they are defensive over the fact that it's better than the company they like. Sometimes there are kernels of actual points to be made that they are making that they don't get listened to because of the, the hysterical, ridiculous, gotten-to criticisms that they give. It's one thing to not do endless recap packages and exposition. Thank you. I watched the show last week and I'm not an idiot, right? That's one thing that's fine. I'm only fleetingly aware of the fact that Dustin Rhodes and Fuego del Sol are like tight because it's on one of the vlogs. I think it's Sammy Guevara's. What sense does it make to someone just watching the show? Mm. Like that they did that spot. I can infer it. I don't mind inferring it. But if you're, you have to, it's just, it's indulgent stuff. Mm. Oh, we did this thing on the vlog. We've got this runner on the vlog. Can we incorporate it in a dynamite? Sure, why not? Well, there's a good reason why not, actually, because <laughs> it's still cute. It doesn't really make a great deal of sense, and it's just a bit too indulgent. I understand that these people worship Tony Khan. Like, genuinely, if you hear these interviews, and it's much better to have a happy roster with huge morale. But at the same time, that's a spot that didn't have any weight to me. I don't watch that vlog that it's on, so it makes no sense to me, and it wasn't really a happy moment for me. It's just a pointless moment. And I've been funny, like Dustin Rhodes versus Nick Comrade is not a dynamite main event. And I, my latitude on the niceness, my latitude on the fact that certain guys aren't being prioritized is wearing incredibly thin. Once again, this is completely reflected on my timeline, which I'd like to think is in very good faith, people who earnestly watch this stuff. And the match itself was just, I was in a mood. I was in a mood watching this. <laughs> and I can only hope that this level of main event, which doesn't feel like one, and the cutesy stuff is going to go away soon when the fans come back and you realise you're not going to get a white-hot crowd for this Dynamite main event in front of a crowd, in front of a big one. Hopefully, the days of this kind of main event are over because I'm just getting bored. Frankly, I'm getting bored. Yeah. Um, Comrade is green, but worse was that he looked it. Like, that, to me, was the biggest crime in this. I thought the whole way through... Was it you said, like... Like bigger than the ring, that was yours, isn't it? Sidra? Bigger than the ring. Like they reduced him here. Like he was, I, I, the blood was a good visual, but like there was so many points to this where he was just like just a man, 
And a guy like Nick Comerata should be anything but that, you know? Um, and I couldn't figure out, again, it might be because it was the end of this particular episode, but I just couldn't figure out how they'd arrived at that in a match with Dustin Rhodes, in a gimmick match with Dustin Rhodes, with bells and whistles, how they'd arrived at kind of putting this guy out there to look a little bit beyond his level. I, I did not foresee that. This looked like an inch-perfect booking. Maybe it just didn't belong in the main event, and that was the bit of his level that was like beyond him, perhaps. I don't know. Um, they're not going to get it right every time, but I, I didn't even think this was that enjoyable. Like, they were, they were manufacturing chaos instead of just presenting something that felt chaotic. And you, it's that's a feeling, isn't it? You, like you can't sort of. I think there was there was a there was too much of a forced fun element to this, and that's typically the opposite of AW main events. And to be fair, like Dustin Rhodes' big gimmick matches, it was the Butcher and the Blade tag match that just blew everybody away. You know, like for and Dustin Rhodes continues to typically because people are like measure their expectations, and then all of a sudden you get this like blow away performance for him. It just wasn't one of those nights, and it like. Felt like that up and down. It felt like that for these two here as well. Yes, uh, an, an up and down episode overall for AW Dynamite. We'd love to know your thoughts on it. At What Culture WB on Twitter, of course, if you want to get in touch with us. Well, I say you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at um, Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WB. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. God, I can't wait till Dynamite goes back to normal and we can just preview it and review it like we're not used to. But uh, yeah, the preview for next week's AEW Dynamite will, of course, be on Friday. And then we're going to have presumably quite a busy Monday off the back of Dynamite and TakeOver and looking ahead to Monday Night Raw as well. Hear your diaries, boys. Right, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to Michael Sidrick, to Michael Hamlet, to you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 